This sermon, Through Thick and Thin, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, July 17, 2022, at Sovereign Grace Church. Good morning, everybody. Welcome if you are visiting. My name is Derek Overstreet. I have the privilege to preach this morning. Would you open up your Bibles to Acts 12? We can, or excuse me, Acts 14. Uh oh, I prepared a sermon for Acts 12. <laughs> Acts 14, uh, we are preaching through the book of Acts. And this morning, we uh, come to the end of Paul's first church planting mission. Acts 13 and 14 records the first of really three journeys that Paul takes to spread the gospel throughout the known world. Uh, And today we're wrapping up his first trip. It's, the smart guys say, it's a trip that lasted about two years, although if you ask Tom Wilkins, he's adamant that it was one year and seven months to the day. (laughs) But roughly two years, probably about 1,200 miles that Paul and Barnabas traveled as they did a round trip from Antioch, and Tom did a great job of showing us the map uh, a couple Sundays ago, up through the cities and then back down again, even as we'll see, able to visit the churches that he uh, was, was with uh, and was planting on his uh, first leg of this journey. Uh, so as you turn to Acts 14, I want to tell you a little bit about our community group. I, Dawn and I have the privilege of being a part of the uh, Trask community group. Brian and Susie Trask are our community group leaders. And, and this last Sunday after church, he led us in a great discussion. Uh, the, 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 thought, the, the, the question that he posed was, how do, we, how do we keep, how do we not waste our summers? Uh, it's so easy to... Um, to see summer, we take vacations, we get away, our, our schedule certainly looks different, but in that, it's so easy for our summer to not just be a break from the regular tomb, but, but a break from God himself. I think Brian said, how do we make sure our summers don't become Christless? It was a good conversation, but that conversation kind of moved uh, really to, to serve two particular people who were getting ready this week to go on vacation. And one of the things that they talked about was that there was some reluctance in going on vacation. Uh, One of the things we talked about was wherever you are, whether you're home or you're on the beach or you're in the mountains, one thing doesn't change. Your geography might change, but your purpose doesn't change. You are an ambassador for Christ. The landscaping just changes. The context just changes. The people change. And so There were some folks there who just humbly shared about their own fear and anxieties as they went to visit family, knowing that there were going to be issues like abortion, knowing that one family has been impacted by the transgender uh, 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 delusion. Uh, And we were able to talk about this, and they were genuine and said, boy, I I don't want to cause division. I'm on vacation. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to cause division. I, 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 don't, I really don't want to deal with opposition. I, 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 I don't want to have this cultural barrage. After all, I am on vacation. We were able to encourage them and remind them that they are ambassadors for Christ wherever they go. Now, that's easy to say when you're sitting in the front room of the Walsh's home <laughs> with a hot cup of coffee and a dessert in hand, and you're not the one going. I walked out of that group reminded how hard it is, and that, frankly, I'm not very good at it. I'm the guy who says, it's vacation. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm going to take it easy. I left the group thinking, you know, too often the Spirit just convicted me Too often, I'm a reluctant ambassador. I'm a reluctant ambassador. And so for that reason, I love and I need texts like Acts 14 because because what we're going to see, these stories in Acts 14 this morning, they 
they encourage me, and I hope they do for you as well, to gospel boldness through the courageous examples like Paul and Barnabas who, who embraced God's way and trusted his faithfulness even through the pitfalls of their evangelism. And that's really the goal this morning, that we would be encouraged to set out, to be sent from this place this week, be encouraged to share Jesus through thick and thin, to be hopeful in our witness, come what may. So would you stand with me? Let's read the text, and then we will dig in. Chapter 14, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had, men, had, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders from them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in who they had believed. Then they passed through Poseidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Lord, encourage our souls this morning as we look to this early church, these early evangelists on mission for Jesus, the same mission that we have been given by implication of the gospel invading our hearts. Lord, encourage us this morning to speak your name, 
courageously and boldly and with faith that indeed you are the God who saves. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points this morning. Uh, The gospel that saves divides. The gospel that saves clashes with culture. And then finally, the gospel that saves puts you at risk. Uh, I don't know how encouraging those sound to you, but I trust that you will be encouraged by the time that we are done. You'll notice uh, the tail end of chapter 13, uh, Luke picks up after being driven out of Antioch in Pisidia for preaching Christ. Paul and Barnabas head to a city called Iconium. It was about 75 miles southeast, um, and it was a cosmopolitan city. It was a diverse city. It, it was an educated city, and that's where they went to preach Christ. They didn't give up after being driven out of uh, where they were before. No, they kept moving forward. And Luke says that they, they had immediate success. Notice verse 1. Luke says, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And from the start here, from the start, we witness a reality that, 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 uh, that, that undergirds the entire message this morning. The gospel saves. The gospel saves. Paul and Barnabas show up. They preach Christ and people get saved. That's the power of the gospel, isn't it? That's the power of the gospel unto salvation according to Romans 1.16. Preach the gospel. Share Christ and people will get saved. All those that God has appointed will be saved. Listen, people turn to many things. There are people in your lives who are turning to all manner of things to cure what it is that ails them. But they're not satisfied because nothing that this world can provide can satisfy. Nothing. Only the gospel message meets people right where they are. Only the gospel message is so central to their human existence and their greatest need, that is, they are sinners under the judgment of a holy God. Only the gospel comes and meets that need and transforms sinners like you and I. They're driving by us right now. And the first thing that we see, Paul and Barnabas didn't change their tactics after getting run out of the last city. They went to Iconium and they did the same thing. They preached Christ. And so immediately, we have this encouragement this morning. God saves through our evangelism. He's the great, eva- he's the great evangelist. And though we don't know who he will save, we know how he saves. How will they know if they don't hear? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. So we tell others about Jesus. Because that is the message that saves. If you're here this morning, I just want to encourage anybody who is here this morning, you would not identify with Christ. You would say, yeah, I'm not a Christian. I'm seeking or I'm just here my first time in church or wherever you may be. The gospel is really very simple. God is a holy God. He created you. Therefore, You are accountable to him just like everybody else. But we are born sinners because of what happened in the garden. We we have inherited a sinful nature from Adam. Therefore, we are sinners. That's why we sin. And we are left with no hope to escape the judgment of God for our sin. But Jesus, the one Paul and Barnabas went to Iconium preaching, he 
took, we heard it this morning, he took our sin upon himself. He hung on a cross, and, 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 and it's part of world history. He was executed on a cross, but what the world needs to know, that was more than just a physical execution. Spiritually, something was taking place. God was pouring out his wrath on Jesus for our sake, paying the price for our sins, for your sins, so that you could have forgiveness of your sins. No longer be under God's judgment. No longer be an enemy of God, but now be a friend of Jesus, a son or daughter of God, fully forgiven, only knowing grace and mercy. And scripture says that 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 comes to us by faith. So I want to encourage you, whether it's right now or as you continue to sit and listen, ask the spirit of God to reveal in your heart how much you need Jesus. Now, their evangelistic efforts that started off with a bang uh, also brought some pretty severe trouble. Notice verse two. He goes on to say, but, there's more to the story here, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and, and poisoned their minds against their brothers. The difference between verse one and two is found in one word. Faith. Luke says many believed, that is, they had faith in Jesus as they heard the gospel preached. But those who didn't believe, they did not have faith in Jesus. Their minds were poisoned. They poisoned the minds against, uh, against the believers. They were, they, they, they were, in essence, saying, listen, don't listen to this stuff. This is foolishness. These guys are madmen. They've, they've been run out of places before. And they convinced them that that the gospel was hogwash and and those who believed needed to be punished. Luke says in verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. The gospel was preached. Some were saved. Some rejected it. And there was a division. Some believed in Jesus. Others rejected it. Some loved Christ, others hated him. Some cherished the gospel, others wanted to snuff it out right there in the town square. The gospel divides. The gospel that saves and unites us to Christ and one another at the same time divides. Didn't Jesus teach this himself? Didn't he teach this himself in Luke 12 when he said, I will divide father and son. I will divide mother and daughter. Some will believe in me. Others will reject me. Some of you understand this better than others because you experience it. Maybe you have a spouse who's an unbeliever. There's a division there. Maybe you have close family members, a child, a sibling. You understand this division. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's in your face. The gospel divides. And the gospel divides because there's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. There's no neutrality. You you either believe in him and are saved by his grace or you don't. And you continue to live under his judgment which will come to a head one day. And to not believe in him is to essentially reject him as the only mediator between God and man. It is to reject him, and if you would say, yes, I believe there's a God, then you are saying, and I believe my righteousness, my goodness is enough to stand before an infinite holy God and be received by him. (laughs) The gospel divides. Ultimately, the gospel divides the believers from the unbelievers. And we can't choose which category people are in, but we can share Jesus and trust the Lord to save those that he will save. That's what we leave here this this morning with, that mission to go share Jesus. 
And there's something critical to remember here. This text reminds us that, that we will encounter people who are passionate about their disagreement with the gospel. Not everybody, but, but we will encounter people who are passionate about what you have to say about sin and, and Jesus and faith and repentance and mercy and wrath and heaven and hell. The gospel will divide. You will encounter opposition, just as Paul and Barnabas did. I, I love here, notice, notice in the midst of all this division, opposition, notice what Paul and Barnabas do in verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to treat them. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant verse 3. So they, after the division and the opposition, so they remained for a long time. Speaking boldly for the Lord. So they remained for a long time. Amid serious division opposition, they kept preaching Christ boldly. How convinced was Paul that Christ was everything and the gospel was the only message of salvation? I love how Luke does that. Poison their minds against their brothers. So they said, okay, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Let's keep preaching. How convinced were Paul and Barnabas that Christ and Christ alone was more precious than life itself? How convinced are we that Christ is everything and the gospel is the only message of salvation? Listen, listen. What makes you a reluctant ambassador today? What, 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 what is it? What, whatever it is, what silences you even before, the oppos even before you face the opposition? What keeps you from opening your mouth? Whatever it is, identify it and take it to the cross. That is, give it to God he pours out his mercy. That means he will not turn you away. He will remind you that in my son you are forgiven. I do not hold that against you. Here's mine. I, 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 I loathed. I loathe personal division and opposition. My craving for a comfortable, private world all too often makes me a reluctant ambassador. Leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I'm sitting in a Starbucks. Can't you see I'm reading a book? Don't talk to me, and Lord, don't lead me to talk to anybody else. I like my world. I don't want to take any chances. This morning, I need to be reminded Christ is everything. And I am his spirit-filled evangelist. We are, the church is, his spirit-filled evangelist. God, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. God making his appeal through us. And when we preach Christ, God saves sinners. So be hopeful, despite the division and the opposition. Second thing we see here is that this gospel that saves clashes with culture. In Iconium, Paul and Barnabas are threatened with their very lives. And so they, they, they decide to go about 35 miles southwest to a town called Lystra. It's important to note here, though, that that these men are not running, scared, that their mission continues to be to tell others about Jesus and plant local churches. They are filled with the Spirit for that. They are armed with the gospel in that. They are not retreating here. They are advancing the gospel mission. They're also not stupid. <laughs> but they go to, in verse, in verse 8, Luke tells us they go to a town called Lystra. It's a different kind of town than Iconium. It's smaller. It's a little more redneck. It's a little more rough around the edges. 
And it was a place where Judaism really didn't have that much impact. There were no synagogues. And so this means Paul broke his pattern. Instead of going to uh, the synagogue first, he went straight to the Gentiles to share Christ. And when he did, like, like Iconium, the Lord worked in power. Notice in verse 8, Luke tells us there was a man from birth in the crowd. And so Paul is preaching Christ. And he's preaching his life and his death and his resurrection. He's preaching how Jesus is God in the flesh. That he grants forgiveness of sins through faith. And there was at least one man hanging on every word he was hearing. And what can only be explained by insight from the Spirit, Paul perceived his heart was being flooded by faith even as he spoke. Look at verse 9. He listened. This is the lame man. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. I think this man believed two things at the moment. I think he believed that the Jesus he was hearing about was powerful enough to heal his body, even though he had never walked in his life. Did did you notice how Luke in verse 8, now at least there was a man who, there was a man sitting who could never, who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. You see that? Boom, Luke, hey guys, by the way, this guy, he has never walked. Nothing has worked. So Luke says it three different times in different ways. But in this moment, he believed Jesus, this Jesus that he was hearing about was powerful enough to heal him and Secondly, I believe this man believed that Jesus was powerful enough to heal his soul, to save him from his sins. This moment, this moment in Lystra was a testimony to the power of God, yes, but it was also a demonstration of the purposes of God. And I say that, I believe that this man was saved that his faith was not just not merely for healing, but for salvation, because Paul is preaching Christ. And with Paul, as you read his letters, faith is always connected with Jesus and the sacrifice that brings the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So this, this man was healed by God's power and saved by his grace as he heard the gospel preached. The gospel message, the person of Jesus who is the message, saves sinners. The lame man, I believe, got it, but the crowd was confused. Look at verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, that is their own language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. This is a crazy moment. The Laconian culture was steeped in Greek mythology. And there was one particular ancient legend that, that was very relevant to them because it actually took place in their backyard. I'll just kind of read briefly to give you the idea, uh, but it was written uh, in a book called Metamorphosis about a half a century earlier, and it was the story was set in their town. The story spoke of two Greek gods, Jupiter. Zeus and Mercury, or Hermes, the, the grandson of Atlas, who visited the hill country disguised as mortal men. They turned away, they were turned away from a thousand homes where they sought lodging, but were finally welcomed into the home of an elderly couple. The gods turned the house into a temple, 
and destroyed all the homes that had rejected them. This couple was granted their wish to become priests in the temple to serve the gods and to be allowed to die at the same time. Do you see the connection there between that Greek mythology? The crowd is aware. This is a legendary story in their region. And the crowd no doubt hears from Paul how God came in the flesh to save sinners. But after seeing the lame man healed, they think, wow, these guys have real power. These guys, Paul and Barnabas, they're the gods, just like this story. They're the gods who who came in flesh, not Jesus. These two men. In other words, they don't get it. They miss Jesus, and they look to Paul and Barnabas. And they certainly don't want, they know what happened to all who turned them away and did not recognize them for who they were, according to the legend. And they certainly want to avoid that. So what do they do? They offer up sacrifices. They bring animals. The priests of the temple, the the pagan temple, bring sacrifices to appease Paul and Barnabas to not make the same mistake again. Their culture is completely informing how they are interpreting the gospel message. And when Paul and Barnabas finally figure out what's happening, they, they yell back, look at verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. Translation, we bring you Christ. We bring you the gospel that you should turn from these vain things to living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with the food and gladness. One could only imagine this scene. Paul Barr say, men, stop this nonsense. Maybe they have Acts 12 in their mind. Remember Acts 12? And Herod stood before the people, and the people said, not a man, but a God. And Herod didn't deflect the glory to God. He soaked in the glory that belonged to God and was eaten with worms and died. No doubt, maybe Paul and Barnabas are going, okay, we can't let this go on. We're, we're putting a stop to this right now. And they say, stop. And they begin to speak truth in their, into their confused culture. They say, listen, we, we bring you the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that you serve gods, that you have a place for gods in your thinking. Listen, There is a God. There is a living God. He is a God of providence, and he is a God of common grace providing for you. He gives you all that you see, and it comes from his good hands bearing witness that he exists, that he is all-powerful, and he is good. See, these folks didn't have the Jewish scriptures to understand that there was an eternal God who created all things. So Paul and Barnabas, they use their world, their pagan thoughts, their their pagan philosophies to help them understand. They, They confronted and connected their culture, their ideas, their stories, their perceptions, their philosophies, their worldviews to the existence of a living God. We, we know this is apologetics, don't we? Paul Barnes bring it back to where, where the gospel begins. The existence of a holy God who created all things. Yes, there, there, there is a God up there. There's just one though. And he's a living God. So they connect them to the existence of a holy God who created all things. And so all things are accountable to him. That's why we need the good news. Because you're sinners. We do mission in a confused culture today, don't we? 
Our gods might not be called Zeus and Hermes, but they are there. Sexual and gender identity. The God of leisure and pleasure. The God of freedom of choice, even at the cost of human life. The God of sex and self-pleasure. The God of individualism. The God of relativism. We have our gods. Part of our mission is bringing the gospel to bear to people in a way that helps them see how fruitless and how vain their gods are. That the message of a living God who took on flesh to save sinners from eternal wrath is real and true. By the way, that message doesn't fit their narrative. (laughs) That's why they reject it. It didn't fit mine before I knew Christ. I rejected it. The thing we have to remember as we go out, give ourselves to gospel mission is is that the very message we bring, the very one that our lives are centered on, the very one in whom is our all and all, It clashes, he clashes with our culture. Tell a person that you're a great guy, but you need a savior. Because you need to be saved from your sin. That doesn't fit. They don't see it. Gospel will, the gospel clashes. The same gospel that saves clashes with the culture around us. But listen, here's why we're hopeful. The gospel was effective in the confused culture of Lystra. It's the same gospel. It is still effective today as we claim it boldly, clearly, and in the power of our, in the power, not our spirit, in the power of the spirit, we speak Jesus and two our confused culture. Number three, the God, that's the, the God, the gospel that saves you puts you at risk. Notice in verse 19, the story goes on. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Excuse me. How ironic is this? I read this this week and I thought, okay, wait a minute. Paul was Saul. And it's not too long ago that, that Luke told us Saul was hunting down Christians from city to city. Now Saul is Paul. He belongs to Christ. He has one mission, to live for and tell everyone he can about Jesus. And now he's being hunted down from city to city. Verse 19 says that the Jews followed Paul from city to city, gathering up people. You've heard about these caravans coming from way down South America From town to town, they just gather up steam. They get bigger and bigger, I can imagine. They're recruiting. They're poisoning people's minds against Paul and Barnabas. Are you with us? Yeah, okay, well, let's go. We heard he's he's on his way to Iconium. When they finally caught up with him, and they did, they stoned him. They immobilized him and proceeded to unrelentingly throw rocks that battered and bloodied his body. He writes about this when he writes to the Corinthians, I was stoned once. Probably talking about this, I'm sure. 
They stoned him. When they were dying, they looked at him. He's dead. So battered. So bloodied. They looked at him and said, he's dead. Somebody get rid of him and throw him out the gate outside the city. Let the birds take care of him. Let the wild animal drag him off. That's opposition, folks. Might not be happening in this country, thank God, but it is happening in other countries. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters abroad. In their minds, they killed him. They thought he was dead, so they dropped his body over the wall. The price for loving and living for and sharing Christ. Miraculously, Paul wasn't dead. How amazing is that? Luke says in these verses that his disciples were standing over him. What now? And it's like he came too. No doubt this was a miracle from the Lord. It had to be the supernatural power of the Spirit that healed and strengthened his body. Could you imagine? Because, you know, it says that he got up and went back into the city. I mean, not a lot of time went on here, but when the disciples, verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. What? Wow. I want Paul in my corner. I'm cornered. <laughs> in my mind, what's even more amazing, he went back into the city, kept preaching the gospel. Don't be condemned by that example. Be inspired. It's the same spirit that lives in you. It's the same spirit that lives in you. We look at this and we go, Paul's resolve and courage in Christ was astounding. He knew Christ had given his life for him. How could he not give his own life for Christ? Especially as since eternity is at stake. Cities that he is going to, they are filled with sinners under the wrath of God. And he has just what they need. A savior named Jesus. A message that is the power unto salvation. The resolve and courage that Paul had in and for Christ is astounding. And while you may never get pummeled within an inch of your life like Paul, I pray you don't. Stones come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Sometimes stones look like an assault on your reputation with your circle of influence. Sometimes stones come in the form of being reviled for your faith on social media and becoming a pariah. being labeled bigoted because you believe a man is a man and a woman is a woman. A stone can come in the form of being passed over for promotion. A stone can come and things done just to spite you, to make you hurt. Stones can come in the form of grudges and acts of vengeance. The gospel, living for and telling others about Jesus will put you at risk. But it's worth it. It's worth it like nothing else in this world because you're part of Christ building his church through you. Your life story, your life mission your cause, if you want to call it that, your journey, if you like that kind of language, is found in Christ 
and his glory and renown being made throughout the world. And we know how this is going to end. There may be setbacks. There might be pain. There might be personal conveniences along the way. But we press on knowing that ultimately Christ is victorious. You know, Acts 14 concludes with the apostles' trip back to Antioch through the cities, like I said earlier, they had just visited. And as they passed through these cities, they reconnected with the churches that they planted, and they they took time to tell stories of what we just looked at, and I'm sure more. Could you imagine? In verses 21 to 28, that they're sitting around with the saints in these cities that that they were in earlier, and they're just saying, man, you got to hear what the Lord did. We got some stories to tell you. And, and as they did this, there's two realities that surface that I believe fueled their courageous witness through the thick and thin of their mission. And it's our application this morning. I'm going to be brief here, so I want you to walk away with this text and study it for yourself. There's two things that surface in the final verses of our text. The first thing is this. They embraced God's way, and so should we. Notice verse 21. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, that is Derby, that's where they went after they left Lystra. When they had preached the gospel to the city that had made many disciples, pause, what a reminder, the gospel's preached, sinners are saved. All the opposition, all the cultural clash, all the division, there were believers in these cities that God brought to himself through the preaching of Christ. Let that make you hopeful. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas believed that. They were sure of that. They knew that is God's way. Just look at the cross of Christ. And for us today, it should mean that we shouldn't be surprised by the division and opposition or the cultural clashing that we find ourselves in. Living for Jesus and telling others about Jesus will always bring a measure of opposition and persecution. We can't change that. But we can embrace it, not because we're pragmatic, but because it's God's way. It's God's way. Jesus is light. And when the light shines into the darkness, there's trouble. If we're we're facing division, if we're facing opposition, if it's hard, we're probably doing something right. We're probably giving them Jesus. The second thing, so the first application is, Let's embrace the opposition. Let's embrace. Listen, that's easy said than done, I know. And it looks different for everybody in this room, different contexts. But like Paul Barnes, we need to embrace God's way. Second, we need to trust God's faithfulness. Look at verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, the trip is over. They're gathered with the church in Antioch. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained there no little time with the disciples. I love this. God has been faithful, churches. (laughs) Yeah, we had some hard times. I thought, Paul was dead. I was sure of it. We, we kind of run out of, from city to city. People clashed with us. We had, even had people thinking we were gods from the heavens. It was crazy. But notice what he says. They declared all that God had done with them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's what consumed them. In a phrase, oh, let me tell you about God's faithfulness as we went and shared Christ. 
We are reluctant ambassadors, but God is the great evangelist. So as we embrace his way and trust him with the hardships, the pitfalls of sharing Christ with others, let us trust his faithfulness to build his church through our imperfect witness. As we close, worship team can come up. Listen, I I know that it's easy to look at Acts 14 and include, okay, pastor, great. (laughs) That was Paul and Barnabas, and that was a unique time. I'm no impossible, I'm, I'm no impossible, I'm no apostle, and times are different. Well, that is true. <laughs> but like Paul and Barnabas, we are ambassadors of Christ, called and enjoined to the same mission they received from Jesus, the same life-giving message, the same empowering spirit. We can't do this on our own. We need supernatural intervention. We need the spirit of God strengthening our faith, reminding us through truth that he is at work and nothing can stop his work. It's always been that way and it's still that way today. And so we can embrace the opposition, not easy, but the spirit of God is greater. Greater is he that is in you than than he that is in the world. And we can trust God to build his church. We can trust his faithfulness as we simply go out and love people and give them Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Help them see their fears and their philosophies through the lens of a living God and a crucified and risen Savior. And just imagine for a moment. Just imagine for a moment if each one of us by the grace and power of God, embrace God's way and trust it in his faithfulness and share Jesus with just one person this week. How many people are in this room? Just one person. Imagine the stories we could tell to encourage one another. And imagine who might be in this room next Sunday. through thick and thin we're on mission by the power of God and the glory of Jesus let's pray